0: Welcome to the next podcast from millinery.info. This episode is with Beverly Edmondson in Farnham from the United Kingdom. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. Louise MacDonald Milliner, The Essential Hat and The Hat Academy. Thank you for chatting hats with me today, Beverly. Um, We're in Farnham, how do we pronounce that? Farnham. 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 Near your store. Um, And... How did you first become interested in millinery? Um, the first sort
1: of starting out in millinery was when I was 17, I went and did work experience for a company called Angels um, up in Hendon, who they essentially do costumes for like every movie you've ever seen. Um, so there I turned up bright-eyed, fishy-tailed sort of thinking, oh, you know, career in costume, definitely where I want to be. the like celebrity walking in and out all day, getting their fittings. Turns out, sewing buttons onto three thousand extra suits didn't really touch it for me <laughs> and two days in I was incredibly bored but there was this little room in the corner with the, the millinery department and there were two ladies sitting there just looked lovely so I kind of said oh can I go into the millinery department and um, yeah I went in and loved it and from there so I went back to school and I kind of said to my teacher I want to make hats for my A-levels and um, she said, well, you can't. Like, I don't know how to teach you how to make hats. I don't know how to make a hat. but like, you can't. And I was like, no, I want to make hats. <laughs> um, so I found myself a week-long course at the London College of Fashion over the Christmas holidays. Took myself on that. Went back to school, said, right, I can make hats. Can I make hats for my A-level project? And she couldn't really say no at that point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I I did that and... From there I wanted to do a textiles based degree but you've got to do art foundation courses to get onto that. I didn't fancy the idea of an art foundation course, so I found HNC at Kensington and Chelsea College of Art and um, found out that if I did that I could skip the art <laughs> foundation course. I was like great, so I went on and did the HNC at Kensington and Chelsea when I was 18 and. Um, Yeah, the rest is history.
0: (laughs) And what did you create? Did they in that stage did they have you build a final collection around a theme, or what did you produce for
1: that? Yeah, so we did a a final collection. My theme that I chose was sort of Baroque architecture, but I made it all out of metal. So I did soldered steel, um, soldered like jewelry wire, sort of sculptures on top of the head, um, and a little bit of like leather work as well. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Amazing. And then from there, what was your next step on your millinery path?
1: Uh, From there, it went quite for a little bit. Um, I went travelling. I did a little bit, um, but I went travelling, came back, I worked for a jewellery manufacturers and wholesaling company. And um, at the weekend, I just started taking out some of my hats along with some of the jewellery from the company that I worked with onto market stores and um, just started selling them that grew to um, sort of appointments for my dad's spare bedroom because I'm still living at home at this point Um, and um, just grew a small client base from there really and um, then about sort of two years after doing that I opened the shop.
0: (laughs) and what do you think the best aspect from your training was at Kensington Chelsea that helped you launch? Uh,
1: The calibre of the tutors. I think um, sort of especially like people who stick with me, sort of Ian Bennett, you know these teachers, everybody now. Um, but everybody that we had, we had Noel Stewart there as well. He was great, and Kirsten, who was the course leader at the time, um, and Jane Smith as well, of course. Can't forget Jane Smith. Um, just the caliber of the teachers was great. Um, I think. It was kind of good being so young. I was 10 years younger than anybody else on the course when I did it. And although in many ways that feels like I missed out on a lot because I didn't understand the networking aspects of it mm-hmm. or the things I ne- other things I needed to gauge from it, but it just allowed me to go in completely like
0: unfazed <laughs> yes. to it and just sort of get on and and do. Yes. So. How has your brain developed since you started attending those stalls? Oh,
1: massively. Like, hugely. Um, I didn't really even realise I was running a business, I guess, initially then. It was just I had hats and wanted to go out and sell them. There was no plan at that point. Um, so, yeah, it's just sort of evolved over time, but I've been very careful to let it evolve as and when I'm, I've been ready rather than to be like, right, I'm doing this now or that's happening now or expecting this or that to happen. I've been very clear to just... Do you know what, I'll get them in time. It doesn't matter if somebody else is sort of in the periphery doing better or anything like that. I need to be ready to do things mm-hmm. at a time that I'm
0: ready to. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So who are you making hats for at the moment? Who's What's your process?
1: Um, I mean, most of our um, clients are my um, bride, so a slightly older demographic, um, or they're going and getting, like, we do a lot for investitures. Um, we do a lot for sort of social functions and things like that as well, obviously Ascot's are sort of the biggest time of the year, but predominantly it's sort of the mother of the bride, um, mother of the groom, sort of, or grandmother of the bride, grandmother of the groom, um, which I really enjoy because you get people there who sort of never really worn hats and, you know, they're, um, women with a lot of life experience, but then they come in and suddenly they're absolutely floored by what to do <laughs> <laughs> with a hat. So, you know, what we pride ourselves on in store is the sort of one-to-one service and the, you know adapting to everybody's needs you know if they're confident in a hat or if they're not confident in the hat it's just about guiding them through showing them what's available showing them how to wear stuff how to put them on their head how to carry them off what colors suit them and we really just guide through gently um to sort of give them the best outcome for them
0: as well and what are the, com- the most common styles and colours that you're producing for that?
1: Um, we do a lot of navy blue.
0: <laughs> a lot
1: of navy blue. Um, I think a lot of women sort of say no, they don't want to go black for a wedding. And then you've got um, a lot of blush pinks and things like that. But I think customers can be quite adventurous with colours as well. We do do quite a lot of like fuchsia prints and bright colours. I think there's a certain aspect that if you're going to wear a hat, you might as well go bright because you've got a hat on your head regardless
0: Good. and are they wearing preferring larger shapes or depending on the customer
1: really depends on the customer we probably do sort of half and half big hats and small, smaller pieces um sometimes it depends on the occasion as well so like some occasion we'll call for something smaller some occasion we'll call for something bigger um but it's often do like the confidence of people a lot of people say oh I just want something small like a fascinator and then they try them on when they're not convinced and you tell them to put on a hat and all of a sudden they're like how does that look so much better when it's so much bigger and often that's because a hat you wear is not perched on top it's part becomes more part of you so it looks more
0: whole and complete Mm -hmm. the person and how, many, how do you work the process of your shop? Are you designing specific collections or is it just developing?
1: A so we do
0: a, a few different ways. Um, I design like key collections sort of twice
1: a year, uh, which is a slightly more sort of avant-garde piece, a statement piece of the showstopper piece that draw people's eye in, but they don't necessarily sort of go for it all the time, but they might do a toned-down version of or something like that. Um, and then in the shop, we constantly have sort of stock um that we're making all the time and selling which always just evolves you know you've got your sort of basic sort of navy blue simple shape hat and then you've got your navy blue really big hat and then you've got sort of a, a navy blue saucer shape and they blue fascinated we'll always make sure we have those in but they're never always like the same where every hat we make will be slightly different um as well so it's is constantly evolving and we're very reactive to just because we've made a collection of a season if we're finding p- people coming with the same color dresses we just make stock up for the shop that that fills that gap we're very flexible in that way um we don't tend to tie ourselves to sort of one one collection where we work on what our customers requirements mm-hmm. are rather than what we think
0: <laughs> okay. and what's the process for producing the hats are you making most of it in the house or do you have other suppliers that are bringing you the elements or what's the
1: process uh, so we do uh, a mixture and it purely depends on what is chosen by the customers so um we have sort of a team out Back, um, who will do a lot of uh, the blocking pieces, but then we do also have the freelancers that we'll send out blocking to. Uh, we've got other companies that we'll send out other blocking to, where, we'll, where they're using our aluminium pounds to block them. Um, or we will, um, again, we have, we've got like two different flower makers, depending on the type of flower that need making, or different trimmings. It depends on what it is, but we've got sort of lots of people around and sort of back. siphon off the work as and where. Most of the trimming, I still kind of like to do myself in-house. Yes. Um, I do kind of feel that what makes it a Beverly Edmondson hat rather than a hat. Um, I can't describe where, but I think positioning on trimming is a key thing. And it's also something that's really hard to be taught because it's just down to the eye. Over the paper that comes together, if everything you needs doing in-house, it's absolutely done in-house, except what's needed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's again, we do it individually to each. Customer and each hat. There's yeah. no sort of mass production of anything anywhere. That's good. Mm. And
0: how has your hat making changed from when you first learnt to what you're producing at the moment? Massively. <laughs> <laughs> um so my
1: hat makes changed because it used to it would all be like me and doing it all in house and I had to learn as the business had grown to sort of outsource and do different things but also different styles have come in things that were totally unpopular when I was training now popular so it's almost like teaching myself those skills which is quite refreshing having to do it yourself without tutors because then you just find your own way and your own routines and your own uniquenesses of, do, of doing it um, so but I mean my hat making changed massively because now I spend most of my day either prepping or preparing for other people to do bit so I'm more do a lot of managing bits and pieces and then come back and do all the the trimmings um so yeah my hat making haven't necessarily changed I think I've gone through stages where I've been more particular and less particular and that's again all about finding the journey and the route and the business and the path that you go on but I've probably tried all sorts of different ways and Something that will have gone back to the first play, other things have changed and developed as they've gone on. But yeah, now I'm a people manager to to produce the hats and you know, I will design the initial pieces um, and the uh, the signature collection I will very much make myself, because that's almost also my challenge to push myself Mm -hmm. um, into other stuff and then sort of pass that down into the team.
0: And so just, could you describe your work room atmosphere for us? So because it's attached
1: to the shop, a lot of the times the workroom has to be sort of actually like quite tight, quiet or quite um, tidy. Um, so, and the shop floor is really our key area. So the studio is sort of our secondary mm-hmm. area. So out the back, sometimes it's just chaos because the shop floor's been busy so lots of stuff has been dumped out there <laughs> um, for the move. Um, other times it's quite quiet. I love like going in there on like a Sunday when there's nobody else about and just sort of dabbling or preparing for the week ahead. Um, We have music on in the shop, which I do go through to the studio. Uh, We tend to only have sort of one to two people in the studio at a time um, just everything else is outsourced or done on the shop floor. But I will regularly sort of stand on the shop floor sewing something, you know, um, rather than just being stuck in the studio um, out the back
0: as well. (laughs) <laughs> and how have you you grown your team so you've got yourself who get to be in a managerial position so what's the team around you and how do you work with them? Uh, so I've got a great team now and it takes
1: time to evolve and to grow a team and know their space and that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I still face every day is, the team and the getting people together, but, you know, I've got relationship with suppliers going back 11 years now. They're, you know, they're friends and and things now, and I know that, you know, at the drop of a hat, they will do anything if needed. If something goes terribly wrong, they will do that kind of thing. So um, I've got outsourced people who work directly for me. I've got um, sort of the um, front of house staff. So I've got um, three members front of house, um, and then I've got two people sort of in the studio as well I float between the two
0: um and how do you how do you structure your week or your day uh, my
1: days aren't very structured <laughs> I try to have a structure but it's also very reactive and changes depending on the time of year um I've got anything to on my pattern if something needs doing I can't leave it even though it's lower down my list I'm kind of like oh I'll do that now I'll do that now so I do jump around a little bit which is probably a bit frustrating for my team because they're like Put it on the list and carry on with that job rather than starting another one. So I try and do it. sort of like Mondays, I do my admin, I do all my mentoring uh, with my mentees on on a Monday from home. Tuesday, I tend to do appointments on the shop floor and sort of ensuring that the shop floor team know what's set for them for the week. Uh, Wednesday, that I either work from the studio making hats or I will make from home making hats and perhaps I might have some mentoring on a Wednesday as well. Thursdays are generally mainly in the studio, but come up for appointments if I have appointments in. Um, And then I do a lot of the prepping of things to be outsourced for the week as well, making sure I've got all the fabrics and everything and they all go into the right places. Fridays, I do um, appointments and mainly shop floor um, as well. Saturdays, I'm always on, on the shop floor as well. I think it's really key when people come into my business my name above the door and as much as you have a team around you it's kind of more important to a client that they see me in the consultation stage and then as long as I get their hat made for them and it looks like they've discussed that's a more important place for me to be than in the studio all the time.
0: Living so in the area in which you're working as well how do you find structuring um, a work-life balance and how does that fit in? A what? (laughs) So, but do, you, do you get a chance to attend events yourself, or what's uh, yeah, I mean, I try, I
1: try and go to sort of Ascot, but I'll be honest, I'm not um, going. You know, I am like every mill and just going to look at hats <laughs> things like that. Um, I I tend to for work life. I do work quite a few evenings a week. Um, I try to have some time off. Sometimes when they're all with the team around, you, it's all very busy in the week. So sometimes Sunday, the really good time to just get my head down and work out what's happening mm-hmm. sort of for the week ahead to give me the calmness that I kind of <laughs> need, although that cuts into sort of my personal time. Otherwise I just feel like I'm chasing my tail the whole time at work. They'd never have that sort of clarity moment where I can go, right, what are we actually doing? Um, and I find them, I get more stressed. The less time I have to myself, the more sort of stressed out I become because I need that brain
0: space, even if it's just to
1: work out what display needs changing in the shop.
0: <laughs> so do you have an activity that you're like, right, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take half an hour and I'm just gonna go do this to kind of like? I, clear can, your head.
1: I can do but because we're a shop, it's very much guided by customers customer and who walks in. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you might not get any moment in the day to do anything that you intended to do, another time you suddenly got a whole day and be like, oh I didn't put much on my list today because I was on the shop floor. (laughs) Um, I mean there's always jobs like cleaning and displays and things like that in the shop anyway so that's a full time job in itself. (laughs)
0: So yeah that's how I sort of work. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, What is one of your favourite millinery tools? I do like my industrial steam iron and I
1: must say I only got it about a year ago, but it has sort of revolutionized changed your life <laughs> <laughs>
0: things a little bit, yeah. It just makes it so much
1: quicker and easier to, to work with. Yes. And know. what's
0: your what's your favourite thing to do with this steam iron?
1: It's probably when you're like blocking felt something like that, rather than just like putting it back on a whole steam or anything like that, you can just get that area done and it just injects the fibre so well that then you're like, right, done. It just, you know, speeds up the process, stops the faffing <laughs> around.
0: Yeah. And what's your what's your favourite material to be working with at the moment or what are you exploring? I, I
1: do like using felt, oh, I think, probably any milliner sort of when you work with a nice peach bloom. Sort of <laughs> would agree that that's kind of easy. You don't need to worry about a direction of a weave or anything like that if you go. Um, so I'm quite enjoying work doing the autumn winter collection at the moment and I'm working with the felts apart from it's hot weather and the steamer all day <laughs> isn't that great what else I'm using quite a lot of Panama straw at the moment actually I've sort of, sort of newly discovered it sort of earlier in the season and sort of just playing around with that it's probably soft and pliable and
0: and what is one of the best handy hints someone has shared with you about hats or the hat making business probably
1: just business in general would be progress not perfection just like more important to start than it to be perfect and you can you know you can give yourself time to evolve as you go even if you fail you can learn a lot more from your failings than you ever do by just by plodding along or just by never doing (laughs) um so yeah always sort of improving yourself and investing in yourself as well as sort of learning how to make hats or class about investing in yourself and how you can be better at them promoting yourself or putting yourself forward I think is really important and always be
0: working on that absolutely and what's what's next for the business
1: focusing a lot at the moment on my mentoring um thing it's something that I've really discovered that I've got a passion for I've been sort of dabbling in it for the last couple of years but you know such a need out there for you know how to transform millinery into a business that makes a profit um, and can sustain people and um, I love working with my clients um, that I have on that and it's you know really rewarding work it's a completely different type of rewarding work than producing a hat for a customer they're both good but it's just a different type and I, I'm really enjoying that so sort of growing sort of my mentoring and my mentoring programs is something that I'm really sort of passionate about at
0: the moment wonderful well thank you so much for talking hats with us today thank you very much for having me Thank you for joining us for this episode with Beverly today. How did you listen to the podcast? Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or through our website? We're pleased to be able to present the podcast to you on all of these platforms. We hope it makes the listening easy for you, and remember to subscribe on your preferred platform so you don't miss out when a new podcast is released. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for the podcast, The Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, and Louise MacDonald-Millenough. You can find out more about becoming a Patreon supporter through the link on our website. It's a great way to share news about your event, business, or supplies with other milliners. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon, and happy hatting!